Welcome to Life on the Watercrest Line. In this series, we follow the activities of the line throughout the year. We go behind the scenes and see all aspects of the operation. In this episode, I talk to some of the people who are responsible for making the Watercrest Line happen for you and me. I'm here at Ropley Station with Colin Fuller, who's been with the Watercrest Line for a few years. Colin? Um, Well, actually, been with it before it was. Um, I used to sit with my wife and a few friends down in Orsford Station watching BR running trains from this end of the world down to Southampton. So go back beyond the early days, (laughs) even before the early days. And when the line went into preservation, what made you join the preservators? It's a very long, complicated story. Basically, there were two groups who were trying to save the line. One was run by a chap called Simon Neve, who went on to be a professor, very much an academic, and uh, he saw this as an opportunity for tourism, and he looked at it as an academic project, and he started to get people together, keeping names and addresses and membership and things like that, and producing paperwork. Then there was another group who were more business-orientated, run by um, the former chairman of the then Winchester District Council and there were two groups sort of vying to do things. The original idea was to run the trains through to um, Winchester, in other words, keep the whole thing open. And we all thought we were in transport but we soon realised that we were going to be tourism, which is what Simon had worked out. And I was recruited by Simon, there was an advert in magazine I rarely ever took the model railway magazine and it said anybody interested in looking at the Midhance Railway preservation and I applied to that and I met Simon Neve we had a meeting along with other people some of whom are still around some aren't and it all grew from that and we thanks to Simon managed to get a license to occupy part of Alsford Station although we rather took a broad view of what part meant. And uh, we started to get volunteers together. And on a Saturday, we'd get them to move the coal heap from A to B. And on Sunday, we'd get them to move the coal heap from B to A, because we weren't allowed to do very much. We did a bit of advanced preservation, which involves finding things and hiding them in cesses and places like that, odd bits of rail and so forth. Eventually I um, spoke to the other group because I was with Simon Neve and it was quite clear that we had common views and common aims and we merged the two groups and uh, the rest is history. It's a bit more complicated than that. These things are always very complicated. It took a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of energy but we couldn't raise enough funds to run the whole project through to Winchester. And in the end, we could only raise enough to buy the track bed from uh, Alsford to Alton and the rails from here at Rockley back towards Alsford. Then over the years, monies were available and raised. 
we gradually extended further and further east until we got to Alton. You told me that uh, this platform on Ropley Station, apart from the pillars, was built from scratch. Mm, yes, it's won an award as well. It's a tribute to the building group and all the people who've worked so hard and have got the skills and they've got the ability to source materials and know where to get them. Absolutely incredible effort. And this isn't the only thing they've built. The West Country Buffet was originally part of the station down at Lyme Regis. There were very few bridges here when the line was acquired. Uh, the bridge, the, all the bridges here, both the bridges here are new to the site. They're not new bridges. Four Marks has got a new bridge. Allsford has got bridges, that, a bridge that wasn't there originally. An awful lot has been done over the years. I think I'm right in saying Allsford didn't have a bridge. Can't remember now. It goes back to so long so much has happened, I can't always keep up with it. <laughs> well, thank you very much. That was very interesting and very helpful to set the scene. You are chairman of the Midhance Rail Preservation Society. That's correct, yes. Now, can you tell me what the difference is between the Midhance Rail Preservation Society and the Watercrest Line? I'll try. The Midhance Railway Preservation Society is the charity which was set up right at the beginning to raise funds in order to finance running the railway. The Midhance Railway Company Limited is the operating company that runs the railway. So the Preservation Society has members who subscribe and have their lovely Midhance news and opportunities to have a reduced rate travel. But most of them were the real railway enthusiasts at the beginning that didn't want to see steam die. And so they signed up to a, a dream, really. Midhance Railway Limited has shareholders. It's a not-for-profit organisation, so there is no return on your shareholding. And indeed, we haven't made a, a formal share issue for some years now. The limited shareholders contribute to the operating company. So we, as the Preservation Society, make grants to the limited company for things that they might want to do. So they might want to buy something. They might want to extend the line somewhere. They might want a grant towards an employee. The society has no employees, but if the limited company, for example, wanted to employ an education officer, we might make a grant towards that person's employment, but they are employed by the company. We are not involved in day-to-day -day running. That is not our remit. Our remit is to preserve the historic artefacts and to educate people in what running a railway is about or to enable that to happen, the company, the operating company, help us to deliver our charitable objects by running trains. So your members will pay a subscription to be a member? Yes. That gives you funds? Yes. And some of those funds will then go on to the railway for specific projects? Correct. Your members will also then act as volunteers? Some do. We are unusual in that 
and that this is historical and it's lost in the mists of time, we do not insist that our volunteers are members. We urge them to be, and most of the original ones were, but it is not essential. Some other railways insist. So you can be a volunteer without being a member. Can you be a member without being a volunteer? You can indeed. You can indeed. So it works both ways? Yes. Now, taking you as a typical member, what volunteering roles do you have? Okay. Well, apart from being chairman of the Preservation Society, I am also now station master at Alsford and I'm a qualified signalman. So you've taken the volunteering side quite seriously. But then I started as a volunteer. So I started on a platform as a porter at Medstead and Four Marks, as it happens. And I wasn't a member of the society at that point. Part of the volunteering pool... Yes. ...comes from the society. Yes. And they volunteer to the railway operating company or through the society? All volunteers are employees, in inverted commas of the limited company and as such are covered by all their insurances and public liabilities and all of that and bound by their uh, standards. So so in fact they are members of two organisations in a, in a way. In a way it it's a bit like being part of the social club but then going to work in the same organisation if you yeah. see what I mean. You don't have to be a member of the social club, but if you are, you get to do the social club stuff. So you said that the society provides funds. Yes. What else does it do? What else does it do? Gosh. I mean, its, it's charitable objects are to, to raise money to provide funds, uh, to make strategic purchases, to preserve you know, the, the artefacts that might otherwise be lost. We also can receive gifts of artefacts, for example, when the Bluebell Railway gave up their oil lamps, signal lamps, because they became electrified lights in their signals, they gave us their oil lamps. Now, they had to give them to another charitable society. They couldn't just kind of flog them off. They have to be offered first to a charity. So we do receive those kinds of artefacts, which we will then attempt to preserve and use. That's one of the things we do. And also we support education in that we try, and I know you're going to speak to our archivist, we are working towards preserving the wealth of photographic and other material that we're given so that serious students of railways in the future will be able to have access to those and use them and they're not lost. And believe me, we have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of slides which people have given us over the years, which we are hoping to eventually get digitised and identified because sometimes it's very hard to tell where something has been taken. But one of the things that the society has taken on in recent years is to try and track and recognise the service of our volunteers in long service awards. So you will get a 20-year badge when you have done 20 years of service and a certificate to prove it. And you can wear your badge and that will give you free travel even after you have retired from the railway. And we also organise certificates of merit which we present to, to people 
if a team leader thinks that somebody has worked for many years or developed a project or offered particularly meritorious service, they will come to the trustees and say, we would like to recommend such a person for a certificate of appreciation and I make sure that those happen. That's very interesting. It gives people something to look forward to. Yes, Yes, I hope so. I mean, we actually don't have the capacity to do 20 years and 30 years and 40 years and 50 years. But in 2017, which was our 40th birthday, we did make a, a bit of a do. And we presented special 40-year awards to those who had been there from the start and were still volunteering. So we had a, a gathering for them and refreshments on the train. And actually, there is a peal of bells called the Watercrest Line a method which was rung for the first time on that day at Allsford. I know that you do have some members from those first days. We do, we do, yes indeed. Which which I think is quite amazing because they must have been very young when they started. They absolutely were, yes. I don't think any of them were quite in nappies but they certainly had a lot more hair. Medstead and Four Marks with Colin Marsh, who is a porter here. Colin, what's the role of a porter on the Watercrest Line? Well, a porter, for whenever the station master is not here, is basically the station master. Um, we do very little porting in the true sense because the sort of passengers we have tend not to have baggage. But uh, certainly we help passengers on and off trains when they have buggies and handicapped people and so on. Um, we also open up the station at the start of the day, and a station like this is relatively low volume of passengers, of course, on a normal day, but there's a great deal to do at the start of the day, unlocking and opening up and cleaning the station in readiness for the day's activities. So I see it a bit like setting a stage in an amateur dramatic show. The reciprocal at the end of the day, of course, cleaning up again and locking everything up, getting all the stores complete ready for the next day's operation. So when you say locking things up, I presume that's more than just locking doors. I presume it's putting things away that were props on the stage. Absolutely, yes. We've got um, a museum, as you've just seen at the end of the platform. Um, But overnight, that museum becomes a prop store. So in there are barrows and there are milk churns and baggage pieces. And they all get taken out and put out according to the weather. But to make the museum available to the customer... Um, while at the same time putting props on the platform. Now, one of the traditional things that the porter used to do was carry baggage for passengers, which you said you don't do very often. Very often, no. And, of course, they'd get a tip for that. I presume you don't get many tips, either. We don't, although just occasionally I've had... um, If one's helped somebody in a particular problem, it might be even jump-starting their car. They will then say, can I give you something for that? And... um, I never let them go without um, allowing them to put their money back in their wallets. I say, no, I won't accept a tip. Certainly we do have a donation box in the waiting room. Most of them pop something in there. Normally, you said Medstead and Four Marks would be quite a quiet station. Yes. With just a few people getting on and off who are waiting for the next train to come through and might want to browse the station. Of course, at the current time, it's the Alton End Terminus. Yes, what differences 
is that making? That's making it um, very different for us today. Today was my first day of experience as with Medstead as a terminus. What has happened is each train, instead of stopping here for two to three minutes, which sometimes can be a little bit hectic, and then it's gone again, now the train comes in and sits here for 30 minutes, and majority of passengers on a nice day like this have all disembarked and explored the station. So then one has the job of a sheepdog to wind them all up and get them back into the train in time. And then of course the locomotive runs around, which it's, it represents a little bit of a hazard because the passengers get off in the first place, tend to look towards the locomotive to take photographs and have a look at the uh, footplate, just as the locomotive is ready to move off and run around the train. Um, so there's a, a supervisory issue that we don't normally have, other than on a special event like Thomas the Tank Engine or uh, War on the Line, something like that. For those who are travelling to the Watercrest Line, they would normally be able to park at Alton. Now here, parking is virtually non-existent. Yes. So how would you advise people to come to this end of the line? Are well, there buses or...? There's a bus service, of course, from Alton, a public bus service, and at weekends we're now going to be running our own um, service just for passengers from Alton to Four Marks. A rail replacement bus service? A rail replacement bus service, exactly, yes. We're replicating the real thing, aren't we? <laughs> and anyone coming by car really have been um, focused on parking at Orsford and using it as a, a railway that has a nowhere in the country and stops and comes back again. But sometimes, even when we're not a terminus, we get people on bicycles who will come up here by train and then get off the train with their bicycles and go downhill, either to Orsford or Alton, and that will carry on. This is a really pleasant country station. Yes, this, I, I think this is the, I'm biased, but it, this is the prettiest station on the, on the line, without doubt. And of course, you don't have any of the major things that are happening here either an interchange with National Rail or workshops or... Yes, yes, it's, um, it depends on the individuals. Um, you know, obviously you get a, a very big cross-section of people from day trippers to railway enthusiasts to family groups. And then I often say to people when I'm on the train that it, what is there to do at Medstead? Well, there's some lovely flowers and if you stay long enough you can watch them growing. Um, because once the train has gone, it is absolutely peaceful. You can hear the birds singing, you can hear little else, really. It's a lovely place to be. Great place for a picnic, great place to start a walk. Um, on a wet day, it's... <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, thank you very much for telling me about the role of a porter. This podcast is published by the Mr T Podcast Studio. 